story about the kids being home alone that from Heather, <laughs> then from Jamie. The first was, he said, what? Uh... We would never leave our kids alone at that age. We're not bad parents or something like that. We're not neglectful parents. So, right. There will be adults uh, present at the house. So I did, it did foil my and uh, Brandon's attempt to go over and make some news that children home alone are scared by, by crazy bald guys. What? Yeah, but I'm concerned. There's both. I, I guess uh, maybe a dad coming in, and I don't know if he owns guns. I, it's not. You know, it's not like, like. It's not a thing I'm willing to. It's not a thing I'm willing to, to risk. Have you guys seen those videos? We gotta pray. But have you seen those videos? I I swear they're from another country where the clown has the big sledgehammer and he. So they've got like a dummy laying down. And like for a head, they've got a watermelon. So it's like a scary looking clown. And as somebody comes around the corner, like like dark alley, he, the clown smashes the dummy's head and it's a watermelon. And it looks like he just killed this person. And the person, of course, the you know, it's a hidden camera thing, right? And they're just like, ah, and they run. I'm like, that cannot be in the United States because somebody pull out a gun and shoot that clown. Um <laughs> Which is where the thought came from, because unless there were no kids and they didn't know, like, I don't know if you guys had guns, but I, I would want to be sure I wasn't going to be shot um, if I was going to do that. So. Well, yeah, 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 that's fair. They might shoot us, yeah, shoot, <laughs> shoot us there in Greenwood. So, all right, so we got all that out of the way. Uh, it really is good uh, being in the house of the Lord today. Uh, I know we say that. I, I know the Lord, you know, lives in you if you're uh, if you're a saved uh, believer, you know, and and uh, you know, so so it is just something we say. Let's let's pray and we'll get uh, we'll get into our study in Exodus. Lord, we do thank you so much for your compassion. We thank you that we can laugh, that we can have uh, enjoy enjoy each other's company. Uh, thank you for the testimony of baptism this morning, even the one in the second service and the the celebration of of the Lord's Supper and just all of that, Lord, thank you for the, just, just allowing us to partake. It's, it's really, really amazing. And so, uh, just ask that as we get in, into your word, uh, that you would bless this time together. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you've found us faithful, putting us in the ministry and, uh, thank you for just, uh, teaching us and giving us purpose. Uh, purpose is so, so important in Jesus name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> so, uh, so my, I had big plans this morning. I was going to start with, I was going to start with a, with a, with a question that was going to be a fill in the blank that you weren't going to necessarily know the answer to because you didn't have your hand out in front of you. But then some guys with great hearts decided to pass the handouts out. So, um, so my. What is it? Uh, what, what did uh, what did they say in of mice and men? Right, uh, uh, go, uh, about plans. Right, the best laid plans of mice and men. Or not? They didn't say it. In, I mean, yeah, best laid plans of mice and men. So, fill in the blank here. First Samuel fifteen. If you want to look, that's fine. But in Samuel said, "Hath the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to." Obey is better than sacrifice. 
and to hearken, I didn't want to do hearken because that might have been too hard a word, hearken than the fat of rams, the literally the sacrifice itself. So today we're going to be talking about victory in obedience and how important this is. Now, in Exodus chapter 4, I again came across a ton of ideas a ton of concepts in commentaries and that like, trying to rationalize a difficult passage, trying to rationalize uh, what the Lord's doing here. And I'm not going to explain it away. We're going to hit it head on. Start in verse 18. We're going to read all of the passage we'll cover today. The first up to verse 23 will be on the screen. But Exodus 4, verse 18, we're going to start and we'll read down through 26. And Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father, Right, father-in-law. This is after all of this interaction that, that he's had with the burning bush and the command, etc. And said unto him, Let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren which are in Egypt, and see whether they uh, be yet alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said unto Moses in, in, in Midian, Go, return into Egypt, for all the men that are, are all the men are dead which sought thy life. And the Lord said unto Moses in Midian, Go, re- or wait, huh, I read that a verse again. And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass. Then he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. And the Lord said unto Moses, When thou goest to return to Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in thine hand. But I will harden his heart that he shall not let, thy pe- let the people go. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, let my son go, that he he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn, which we know does come to pass. And it came to pass by the way. Okay, so there it is. is. And it came to pass by the way that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. The Lord was going to kill Moses. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. Then then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. So, kind of a hard passage. There's, There's a lot, like I said, there's a lot that's been written about this passage and honestly, a lot of what I wrote or read, I just simply don't agree with. I don't feel like what I'm, what I'm going to preach today is, is out there because I certainly came across this concept in, in commentaries. Like, I'm not coming up with some new thing to try to tickle your ears. And so you think, you know, this, like, I'm such a great, this is not new content. I, I, hate, I hate to say it, it's, it's kind of new to me. I've never preached on it before, but... <clears throat> But it's kind of a difficult passage because in the middle of Moses going back to Egypt, the Lord's going to kill Moses. I don't know how else to address it other than that's what it says. All these commentaries are trying to explain that maybe the, the Hebrew actually is pointing to another, another hymn and, and maybe it's not really the Lord, it's the angel of the Lord and the Lord's trying to protect him from the angel. No. I think it's pretty clear and it came to pass by the way in the end that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Like, there's an issue. So, let's unpack it. 
are first the situation. The situation we've already we've we touched on the on the premise, but Moses' departure rationale is suspect. That's your first fill in the blank. Moses' departure rationale is suspect. I don't know if you caught that when, when I was reading it, but Moses went in verse 18 and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said unto him, Let me go, I pray thee, and return unto my brethren, which are in Egypt, and see whether they be yet alive. Well, that's kind of interesting because God told him he was going to help deliver them. They were all going to leave. Why in the world would Moses be like, well, I don't know if they're alive or not. So somebody's not telling the truth. Somebody's either God is not decent and, and proper enough to challenge Moses with, well, maybe if your brethren are alive, I will deliver them. I mean, that's just the way it went down. So Moses, I think, is, is painting a picture to Jethro, his father-in-law, that's kind of a little suspect. I, uh, there have been times when I do international mission trips and uh, trying to explain what our sphere of, of believer does on a mission trip doesn't resonate with the world. Because when I say I'm going on a mission trip, they're like, oh, are you going to build a school or you're going to paint a building or you're going to stack bricks or clean out a, an old barn or no, I'm going to walk the streets and tell people about Jesus. <laughs> tell them that they're sinners and that they need a savior. I mean, that's that's kind of weird. Like, I'm going to take my vacation time. You all will take vacation time, go to another another town, another country, and, and we're just going to tell people that without Jesus, they're going to die and go to hell. Now, we do it in love. We're not, we're not mean about it. At least I, never, none of the trips I've been on were mean about it. We really are telling people what we believe they need to hear in the gospel. But, but people I work with are kind of like, huh? And I've been tempted to kind of minimize it, to kind of spin it. Well, I'm just going to see if my brethren are alive. I'm just going to see. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're gonna we're gonna help a missionary that's there, you know, do his stuff in town he's in, you know. I mean, the temptation is not to to be truthful or honest, and and the mission is to be proclaimed, not hidden. The mission. I mean, I kind of feel like Moses is shortchanging. Like he could have come back and was like. Jethro, you will not believe what God told me in a burning bush and proceeded to tell him all the things. Like, God's going to use me to proclaim to Pharaoh because Midian knows, um, the priests of Midian, the people of Midian know who Pharaoh, like that, that's not, like he, he's going to use me to proclaim the deliverance. That's going to be awesome. I mean, my people are going to be delivered out of slavery, well, no, he's just, hey, Jethro, I'm just going to go see if, if my brethren are still alive. I, I don't know. It feels, it feels kind of weakened to me. Notice in Job, a couple verses in Job 26, how hast thou plentifully declared the thing as it is? Just plentifully declared the thing as it is. Do we minimize the ministry? Do we minimize the mission? Do we minimize the purpose and, and as I've grown in my, my, my faith and my walk, I was 
sharing with somebody earlier this year. I went to Toronto and, you know, we were exploring maybe the midtown starting a church in Toronto. And that starts by going in the streets and see if people are, are, uh, are sensitive to the gospel. You know, I didn't, I didn't go into all the detail, but I didn't hold back. It's a pretty straightforward message. In Job 30, 30, or 33, 3, my words shall be of the uprightness of my heart, right? We know that words flow out of, out of the inside. So my words shall be of the uprightness of my heart. My lips shall utter knowledge clearly. Like we're not going to half bake. We're not going to shine. We're not going to try to polish the mission, <clears throat> the message of the mission. We need to proclaim it clearly. So despite Moses, again, expressing some level of doubt about the plan, I counted like three, three or four times now that he's like, are you sure? Okay, you're sure. So are you going to use me? Are you sure? Well, Jethro, like, we're going to go back and see it. Like, you know, there's just a lot of doubt going on. And then we also see in Acts 20, 27, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. You, you Sometimes you'll hear people quote that verse when they're trying to come to some nugget of truth. Some truth that they found in Scripture and they're like, I'm going sh- to teach you the whole counsel of God. Come look at this. No, that's actually not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is staying true to the foundational message. Moses is not... The issue is not that Moses is, has found some nuance. Hey, did you know God can speak out of a burning bush? Like, that isn't even the issue. The issue is he's minimizing the mission that God has called him to. Yet this guy is listed in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11. So, I'm this a little bit. I'm piling on a little bit, but the dude comes full of faith. He comes strong, grows in his walk, for sure. The, the departure is actually reinforced by God. Notice that he says in verse 19, And the Lord said unto Moses in Midian, <clears throat> so now he's, go, he's gone back to tell Jethro. Jethro endorses him to leave. And the Lord said unto Moses in Midian, Go, return unto Egypt, for all the men are dead which sought thy life. So whatever doubt that Moses had, again, in his own ability, etc. This is kind of the first time now this, th- this thing spun up that's like, oh, there's people there that may still want to, they, they may want to kill me for the actions I did many years ago. And God reinforces the, the departure, the, the purpose, go and return for all the men that are dead, are, are, all the men are dead that which sought thy life. So this creates some confidence from reinforcement that addresses the fear that came out of Moses' previous statement. He's actually saying, I'm going to see if my brethren are, are alive or dead. Right? And that he could be acknowledging those he grew up with, those that would have caused him to, to face judgment. But ultimately, the confidence comes in the reinforcement that God is God. God sees this from Midian, <coughs> excuse me, sees from Midian, if you will, if I, if I may use that illustration. He sees God's in Midian, but he's everywhere. God's in Midian is like, oh no, the guys that, 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 that anybody that has anything against you that would have, 
sought your life, they're all, they're all dead. So again, the Lord, is, the Lord is reinforcing Moses as a person and Moses within his mission. And so his departure is complete. He takes his wife and kids and he places them on a donkey. The implication is that their, the children are small, that, the, the, that his wife, Zipporah, and his two kids, Gershom and Eli, uh, Eli Ezar, uh, the younger are are placed on the donkey, indicating this kind of singleness that the p- children are probably still very small. Uh, the names are kind of interesting. Gershom is a foreigner el- uh, alien. The concept of not being from a specific place. Uh, but now Moses has found his, I guess, home, his temporary home in Midian, and his second child, Eli Ezer is God is my help. Don't know exactly how, how old these children are, but the, again, the implications are all three of them, mom and the two kids, fit on a single donkey. He takes his rod, the rod of God in his hand. If you, if you notice um, <clears throat> in verse 20, And Moses took his wife and his sons and set them upon an ass, and he returned to the land of Egypt, and Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Everything he needs to complete the mission gets to go with him. He gets to take his wife and his kids. There's no, there's no complications to that. He doesn't have to do kind of an Abraham where he's bringing, bringing a whole host of pretty small operation. And that's good because he's going to basically walk from MBT to Little Arkansas or OKC. Like, pretty good little distance. Now... If you walked a normal rate according to Google Maps, and I don't know exactly what that pace is, but it would take about 15, uh, 15 days walking about eight hours a day, which eight hours a day is doable. I actually, in, in college, we had, a, uh, we had a, a, a fundraiser, and I think I can say this in a recording. It's called From Here to, From Here to There in Your Underwear. And so we raised money, and we walked. We were literally driven outside of our college town, and we walked uh, 26 miles back to our to to back to campus. And we did it in you know boxer shorts and stuff. It was kind of a thing, but nobody was naked by a long shot. So because it was also like late November. <laughs> no, there's no footage. Uh, this was way before cell phones there would have been like a camcorder like that would have actually sat on someone's shoulder uh it would have been not even a little little palm one it would have been a big thing um but no there's no footage uh i wore a uh if memory serves i wore long winter underwear with boxers over that a long sleeve shirt with a jacket over that because it was cold um but it's doable like it's doable to walk, and we we did. We were dropped off at like, I don't know, seven seven thirty in the morning, and we walked all day. I mean, it was, we were tired, but it was it's doable, it's doable. So, you know, you throw your wife and your kids on a on a donkey, and you know, two kids and different times, you start you grab your, uh, your your rod in your hand and you start walking. So his his departure is complete. We know that. His departure is purposed. Notice, notice again, 
This is, this is really cool. Again, um, in verse 21, And the Lord said to Moses, said unto Moses, When thou goest to return into Egypt, see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh. Remember what we talked about? Which I've put in thine hand. But I will harden his heart, and he shall not let the people go. Like, don't be saddened. You're going to face, you know, challenges. You're, there's going to be cha- there's going to be hard times. I'm going to be there. I already know this. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn son. So it's purposed. That which, that which God calls Moses to do, he equips Moses with knowledge and the miracles to execute that which he's called him to do. If the Lord calls you to a ministry, I don't care if it's as simple as making coffee, although here it seems like making coffee can be a little complicated. I'm not going to lie. No, it's not, it's not complicated. I feel like there's machines and stuff. I don't know. I feel like I'm going to mess it up. But as simple as making coffee, as simple as greeting people and handing out like if you can be a, if you if you're li- living and breathing, I think you can probably manage connections ministry here. Like you just need to like smile at a few folks, say I'm really glad you're here. Like there's things you can do in ministry. If God's called you to that, he will prepare you. He will equip you for it. If it's something as complicated as being part of a team that's going to move to a communist country to establish a church in Vietnam, well, he'll equip you for it. He'll prepare you for it. And, and, and that's okay. It's different. Everybody's in their own spot. The Lord places members as it's pleased him. The Lord will purpose. He will, and I, and he will, he will, that purpose before you will equip you for it. Notice that he even says, Israel is, is my son, even my firstborn. Let my son go that he may serve me. If thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. He's again reiterating to Moses before Moses even actually starts on the journey, what's going to play out. And that's a, he should take great confidence in that. Now, the result of Moses' departure is promised. The result of Moses' departure is promised. Now, what's really amazing here, and you don't have all of this on, on your paper, but these are all the promises of what God has just explained to Moses. And there's some 18, depending on how you slice them and dice them, there's some 18 tangible promises that God gives Moses. And yet Moses still has this little bit of apprehension about the journey. Well, welcome to humanity. I'm quite certain that the day that the folks that are going to Vietnam, the day the folks have moved to, moved to Boston, the day the missionaries have gone to the different countries they've moved to, there's a bit of apprehension. We're all human. There's probably a little bit of a lack of faith in different things. And, and things pop up and you're like, ah, oh, I wasn't planning on that. And Satan doesn't fight fair. And I didn't think you were going to attack that. And, and man, just about the time I thought I was going to be okay. And uh, one of our missionaries that, that, we, that we support and have had... I think in this very room and, and, and associated world with, uh, with our mission focus and, uh, is, is in Zambia. He gets over there and his dad, who was, who was as I understand it, maybe not uh, fully supportive. Maybe he was. I, maybe I'm misremembering the story, but his dad has a heart attack and dies. 
uh, shortly after the missionary gets over there. Like, it's not fair sometimes. It's like just about the time you think you've got it, you got your kids on and your wife on a donkey and you got the rod of God in your hand and you're moving forward in faith, there comes an attack. And, and it's okay, we're all human, we're going to fail. We're going we're, we're gonna to doubt. But as complete as this promise is, Moses still had issues. And as complete as this is, we'll probably still have doubts. We'll probably still have issues. But it's complete. The promise is very clear. The departure and the result of the departure is promised. So that brings us to the struggle. The struggle. And it came to pass by the way in the end that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Why? Because of his lack of faith? Not exactly. The Lord's been exceedingly patient with Moses. Patient with Moses. So, wait. What? This is not. The Lord's judgment is real. In the middle of his obedience, the trip back to Egypt, there's a problem. There's a problem. And that problem's got to get dealt with. Okay? So in the middle of it, and notice in verse 24, and it came to pass by the way in the inn, an inn is where you stay when you're traveling, right? So Moses, Zipporah, and the two kids are somewhere between here and Little Rock, Arkansas, and they stop for the night to rest. They're in the inn. I don't know if it was a holiday inn, if there was a pool. For these kids, I don't know. Maybe Zipporah went to the front desk to get a Diet Coke and the Lord knocks on the door and says, excuse me, Moses, I'm here to kill you. <laughs> I don't exactly know what this went down, what it, what it looked like, what it went down, but this is serious. This is serious. So while this seems abrupt, there's clearly a story here. There's clearly got to be something And the reason I say that is, I know not just from this passage, but from other passages in Scripture, including the cross-referencings that cross-references that there's not always all aspects of a story are included in Scripture. And that's not a cop-out. What that does is it should drive you to what is described in Scripture to use that as the basis to fill in those blanks. Okay? Notice in Genesis 12:1, now the Lord had said to Abram, get thee out of thy country. Right? He had told Abraham, Abram at some point in the past, I don't know if it was five minutes before, I don't know if it was five weeks before, five months or five years, or any other length of time. But at some point... Before Abram actually went, the Lord had told him to do it. Now, there is this concept going around that I'm just going to kind of hit straight on. That delayed obedience is disobedience. Okay? You may see that on Facebook. I've seen it bounce, bounce around a couple times. I've even heard it preached. And it, there is truth in that. Delayed obedience is disobedience until the obedience occurs. So, but it's not permanent disobedience, right? So Jesus tells the story of the two kids 
that have been commanded to go work in their father's field, the one says, I'll do it, but doesn't go. So that's disobedience, even though he verbalized it. The other one says, I won't go, but then ultimately does go. And Jesus is endorsing the second one as the one that was the faithful one, right? So you can't, it doesn't, it's not proper to put disobedience on the delay forever, but the period of time between when the father says go and when the son, second son actually does go is disobedience. So delayed obedience is disobedience until it's fulfilled. And Abram had some measure, arguably, of disobedience. Now, maybe, maybe he just needed time to gather his stuff together. Maybe it was as fast as he possibly could. I, I don't get the sense from that story because of, because of that. My point is you have to apply other principles. So not all aspects of the story are included in Scripture. And God is not inconsistent here. We don't know if there was a warning. It's simply not recorded. But we do know circumcision was commanded. So one of your blanks. Circumcision was commanded in Genesis 17, 14. And the uncircumcised man-child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. Now, it's interesting because there is a semicolon here. He hath broken my covenant. Does anybody know how quickly a a man-child was supposed to be circumcised? Eight days. days. Last time I checked, babies don't have the ability to circumcise themselves at the eight-day mark. Okay? So the lack of faithfulness, the lack of obedience in not circumcising the child, the result of that was that child would be cut off from his people. Okay? But who broke the covenant? The dad. The dad broke the covenant. Not the child. And I think that's literally the reason there's a semicolon there. Because the he, I don't think, is pointing to the lack of... Now, ultimately, the child will be to a point where he can make that decision. And I would argue there's potentially a double or dual fulfillment option there. That if I, as a, I'm a, a, a child and I'm, I'm born and my parents do not circumcise me, I'm trying to follow the Lord, at some point I'm going to be faced with that decision. And at that point, I would have broken the covenant if I chose not to go forward. But it's very clear, previous to Moses, that God expects his children and their children, their male children, their boy children, to be circumcised. So Moses is violating a command that is, in his context, worthy of death. In his context. We don't know if it's, like, like so many people in commentaries tried to explain this away. They tried to explain away that it wasn't really the Lord doing this. But I, I'll, the only thing, the only thing is, Moses' wife knew exactly what to do to resolve the situation. When the Lord shows up to kill Moses, 
she immediately knows what to do. She circumcises that boy. I don't think it's a stretch at all to conclude that the Lord had clearly commanded to Moses this needed to be dealt with. And Moses had an aspect of disobedience in his life that rose to a level, let me just be very clear, rose to a level higher than the mission. Because the Lord is is fixing to kill Moses, who he chose to go deliver his people. So that brings us to our victory principle number one today. Obedience is more important than your involvement in the mission. Than your involvement in the mission. If it comes to light that one of the folks that's going to on a church plant team or one of the folks that's 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 going to take over a specific ministry or something has some sort of unresolved matter a, an issue of of disobedience and it's not resolved well there's a very real possibility very real probability I would argue that it that it needs to be dealt with before the the mission can continue in that person's life it's it's pretty important it's pretty obvious Obedience, I mean, the Lord was literally prepared to start over with this whole process. He was willing to kill Moses and start over. Now, I am gonna I'm gonna be in full disclosure, this is speculation. I like to call speculation when it is speculation. It does make me wonder if there are times not recorded in, in Scripture where the Lord has come up to a Moses and said, I've chosen you to do this, but the person chooses not to be obedient, and they end up dead. And the Lord says, okay, I'll go to this Moses, if you will. Like we may, there's, there's potentially countless stories of people who were not willing to be obedient to the purpose of what the Lord called them to. And he is going, he's going to, look, he's going to deliver his people. Praise the Lord, he uses Moses. Thank you, God, for using Moses. Thank you for, for this. So the victory comes, it's kind of hard to, the victory comes when Zipporah takes the sharp stone and cuts off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, surely a bloody husband art thou unto me, thou to me. So he let him go and then, then she said, a bloody husband Thou art because of the circumcision. <clears throat> Yikes. I, uh, I asked the pastors this week about, about, this, uh, about this passage because I, I felt like I didn't want to wade off into, into, into I don't know, questionable, questionable ground. I, I think there is multitude in the safety in the multitude of counselors. And, and, and the answers were, were very consistent, very interesting. You know, God's, God's God. God has the right to do this, to call Moses to the carpet here. There's, there's, a, there's a failure in Moses' leadership in his family here. Uh, one pastor even said that this is actually a foreshadowing of Moses' lack of faith with respect to the rock, which I think is kind of an interesting proposition. Uh, we didn't go way down into it. But what I do know is that right is right, even when culture says otherwise. Now, the Midianites, 
or the, those from Midian, they didn't circumcise. So Jethro and his daughters are not, I don't know, familiar. It's probably too strong. They did not observe this custom. I can only imagine the Moses Zipporah discussion. All right. So where I'm from, Zipporah, we cut the foreskin off. You what? <laughs> Why? Well, God told us to. You're crazy. That's completely unnecessary. Well, it's unnecessary for really any actual reason other than to be faithful to the Lord. I mean, it's a picture of the circumcision that he does in our heart when he saves us. And, and, and God did this on, for purpose. I don't know about that, Moses. After the first one, Gershom, we're never doing that again. We are not circumcising our second son. There, no, we are not doing it. And Moses evidently lets this slide. So there are difficulties in the home when you are unequally yoked. There are difficulties in the home. Sam preached on this morning, there's difficulties when you got two wives. Well, there's difficulties when one of those wives ain't saved and you are. So we'll bring this home here in the last point. Who holding who? The performance of the circumcision may have caused the Lord to release Moses. There is two kind of pictures in play. I cannot definitively point which way. But if you look at the verses 25 and 26, then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut the, off the foreskin of her son and cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So he let him go. Could be that the Lord let Moses go as if he had a sword to his throat, as if he had a knife to his throat to kill him. Then she said, the bloody husband thou art thou because of the circumcision. The other option is that Moses, in fact, is holding Eli Ezer as Zipporah cut their son. In pointing to, Ephe- uh, to Ephesians, to Exodus 4.26, so, so he let him go. I, I actually think from an inspirational application, it's the second. I can't... I, it, I can't, I'm not dogmatic about it, but I think it's a second. Why? Because Moses was holding back from the Lord. There was something he did not want to do in obedience, and that was have his second son circumcised, and it was going to cost him his life as well as his involvement in the mission. And Moses was holding back. But notice Abraham didn't hold back in Genesis 22. And he, lay, he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad. Neither do thou anything unto him, for I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. God didn't even hold back his own son. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, it says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Moses was holding back, and I do believe that as the mission started to unfold, and Moses was taking those first steps back to Egypt. Yeah, he had some doubts. He wasn't terribly clear to his father-in-law what was going on. He had, he had negotiated with God to have somebody else be his mouthpiece. All that was going on. But God deals with this issue. Moses had to let go of something 
to be all in for the mission. And I think he had to let go of his son. I think he had to hold him while Zipporah cut him and he had to let go of his son. So Moses was learning about the importance of the mission. And thou shalt notice that this, this is the part, this is the thing that kind of tipped it for me was don't forget in verse 22, right before this, and thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, let my son go that he may serve me. Moses needed to let go of anything that was holding back the fruit of the, of, of the ministry of God. And it was a son. Now, it's just a little nuance in scripture. I'm not dogmatic about it. Maybe it was the angel of the Lord or the Lord, the angel of the Lord, the Lord himself that was, that was prepared to kill Moses. And he was the one that let Moses go. I don't know. But what I do know is that Zipporah knew exactly what the problem was and resolved it immediately when ultimately con- uh, confronted with what needed to happen. Like the stakes finally got high enough that the circumcision took place. It brings us to our victory principle number two for the day. Whatever you're holding back, let go of it. I actually had here, let it go, and then I was sure somebody would sing, and we're not going to sing that song. But whatever you are holding back, please let go of it. Please, it literally may be, it may not be costing you your life. The Lord may not be to a point where he's ready to kill you over it. Although I do think he does that from time to time. I think he calls people home. And we look at that as like, whoa, that's really mean. Well, precious in the eyes of the Lord are the death of his saints. So sometimes he gets more glory out of someone's death and just bringing the child home than he does that person doing whatever they wanted to do. So sometimes that happens. So he has that right. He's God. His, his ways are perfect and just. But, but in this case, he gave Moses, and by extension Zipporah, the opportunity to right the disobedience. And when that happened, the mission could, could, could continue. Notice... In verse 27, and we'll get to it in the next week. And the Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. And he went and met him in the Mount of God and kissed him. We're going to start seeing things ramp up real fast with Moses' mission. Now that this area of disobedience is gone. So whatever you might have that... We needed to be dealt with maybe during the Lord's Supper or the Lord keeps bringing up for you that you need to let go and deal with, properly circumcise, get rid of. Well, let's do that. Because it's standing between you and the fulfillment of the mission. The Lord wants to use you. He's asked to use you. He's challenged you to be a part of the mission, to be a part of the, the ministry of this local church. As we reach people with the gospel, we develop people, we see them grow in the Lord, we see families restored, we see relationships restored, we see the, the, the kingdom of God, the, the body of the church grow, and, and 
all good things, all right things, that mission can be thwarted in your life based on potential disobedience. So what the Lord has called to your life, like that you know there's an immediate solution to, let's get that resolved. Because the, mission, the mission's right there in front. It's just right in front of you. And I'm telling you this in love. I, don't, I literally, I look out and I'm not like thinking, well, you need to fix this and you need to fix this and you need to fix this and you need to fix... It's not like that. Like, I'm not that smart. I can't keep all those things in my head. But there, I, I'm sure there is something in front of you. It could be family, it could be job, it could be uh, something in your personal life. I, I don't know what it is. Your, just your desire to be identified with Christ. I, I don't know what it is. But there's something that might be hindering you from the mission. And let's deal with it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for... Thank you for loving us. We thank you for dying for us. We thank you for providing a way that we can actually deal with our sin. We don't have to take a knife and become a bloody man because of our disobedience, but we can let go. We don't have to hold back. We, we, can, we can let go of our kids. We can let go of our finances. We can let go of our jobs. We can let go of our past. We can let go of our of our insecurities. Lord, you're, you're right on the precipice of really starting to ramp up Moses' ministry. And I think it's very clear that he had to deal with this issue. I thank you for leaving it in Scripture. I'll be transparent with these folks. As, as you know, I, when I, I saw this, I was just like, what? You were going to kill him right in the middle of his obedience? But obviously there was some aspect, some lack of obedience that was a bigger deal than his obedience in going and, and speaking to Pharaoh. So Lord, thank you for dealing with it. Thank you for, for setting the example in our lives that we can deal with this. We can, we can move forward. There's nothing hindering us other than our own faith. So we believe, yet help our unbelief. Help us to grow in our faith. Lord, just as we separate and we go our different ways from this, this place, help us to be fully focused on the mission, fully focused on what you want to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.